Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We made this. It's about a woman who keeps playing perfect housewife. Hey, where's our breakfast? You're not supposed to have favorites. Kevin's my husband. Yeah. Babe, can you go see if my package is here yet? Can you do it? I'm in the middle of something. Then one day, she realizes what she wants. Whoa, Miss Hercules over here. <laughs> Is that blood? It doesn't mean you get to be moody. You already used that excuse once this month. You got a special occasion you want to look nice for? I am seeing an ex. What I missed the last 15 years. She wasted her life on this terrible marriage. The money's gone. Kevin drained the account. You ever think about maybe trying to have just a little bit of fun? You can get in trouble for that. You're having trouble. You dick. Ah, the hell, lady? I'm not sorry. She has this brilliant plan. Good for you, honey. Kevin and Allison, together forever. I'm just so tired. The world revolves around him. And if it doesn't, he just blows it to hell. It has to stop. Can't stop greatness. I know how to make both our lives easier. We are insane, but you're not alone. Things are gonna change. Yeah, yeah. Ah! Crap, Mother F! My God. Just swear. F is so much worse. Welcome to Scheduled Programming, the official TV podcast of the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and Scheduled Programming is a show taking a closer glance at new television, examining the good, the bad, and the ugly of the small screen. In this first episode, we're talking about Kevin Can Fuck Himself, created by Valerie Armstrong and starring Schitt's Creek co-star Annie Murphy as Alison McRoberts, the Massachusetts wife of cable guy Kevin, an insensitive, boorish man-child. The show, when looking at Kevin, presents itself as a traditional American sitcom with Alison as the long-suffering wife, but when alone, Alison's world takes on a deeper, darker sense of context as she embarks on a quest to free herself of her desperately unhappy existence with possibly fatal consequences. My guest to discuss this show, and the first guest on scheduled programming, is host of We Made This Music Show, Pick a Disc, TV lover, and one of my oldest chums, Matt Latham. It's a pleasure to speak to you, Matt, on this. I'd like to point out, by oldest, he means time of the duration of knowing him, not as in, like, I'm actually 80. (laughs) Also, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you, you might sound 80, to viewers, like uh, to listeners, it's possible. I think it depends on the speed they listen to podcasts at. <laughs> could be, could be. Yes. Well, yeah, it's it's going to be fun this because uh, scheduled program is going to be a show that um, airs 
hopefully weekly, maybe fortnightly, and takes a, a look at all this new TV, because there's so much out there these days. And yeah, there, there is quite a bit, you know, and, and we tend to watch quite a bit of it. And we're going to have different hosts and different guests and things like that, a little bit like our sister sort of movie show, Real Talk, and we made this. But we wanted to set the tone and talk about something that we've both been very interested in for quite a while, in Kevin Can Fuck Himself, which is the kind of show that both of us are drawn to for reasons I'm sure we'll talk about. But before we talk about it in more more depth, unpick it, look at the show, you know, spin it around. Let's start with what our overall thoughts were on this. Now, we're going to assume, listeners, that you have watched this or you are watching it. So please, from the outset, beware spoilers because we're going to be talking about all eight episodes because we've seen all of it. And we probably will, and we will be talking about the last, like, three seconds Yes, I think we absolutely will, because that's quite crucial. Uh, So, yeah, you have been warned as of right now. But before we get into it in more depth, uh, Matt, what did you think? Matt, I can't call you Matt. Latham. I know you was Latham, so I'm going to call you Latham. What do do we think of the first season overall, and what would you rank this out of 10? In my head and on paper, this, this, this would be something that would be, like, an ideal show for me and it should be something that's a 9.5 on paper and the premise and what it's capable of it should be 9.5 but it's a 9.5 averaging around a 6 or perhaps even lower so it's just almost above average to middling when it should be so much more and I mean coming coming into it I was part of me was really excited but part of me was also in the back of my mind thinking that it's not going to be the show that I kind of want it to be and I think as it was going on there are hints there are hints that it's there are hints that it might be going towards the direction I think it might be going in but I think some of its habits and annoyances take over and just leaves it middling and it's frustrating I think was the word I used when I finished the last episode I think so it's a very frustrating six. Yeah, I probably wasn't anticipating this quite as much as you, much as I was interested the moment I heard the premise. So I was perhaps a bit less disappointed, maybe, but I would agree with you. I would give it between a five and a six, actually, I think, because it's a very strange beast, and there's a lot to talk about with this. And I, I, I th- re- as I was watching it, I was thinking... And this sounds awfully egotistical, but I was thinking, I'm going to enjoy the conversation we have about this way more than I'm enjoying this show right now. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what and, I mean? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to go too much into details of like back, like of backstories, but I, I'm getting the impression that I'd be quite interested to see when you was watching this, was you kind of predicting my reaction to it while you was watching it? Because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you were watching this thinking that this is more of a, a me show than you show. Yeah, I was. It, it, in the sense that I knew we were going to talk about it and obviously we're good friends and I, I know the kind of things you like, like, you know, vice versa. But, it, it, yeah, I was thinking, I think Latham will struggle with how the premise doesn't seem to be quite living up to what it could have been. And I, all, all the way through, I kept thinking... And and this this is maybe unfair, and this is maybe why it's an unfair score in a way from me, because I kept waiting for it to do something that I don't think it's ever going to do, and I don't think maybe it should do in a way. As in, I kept waiting for the fourth wall to be broken properly, 
and for this show to become a little bit more about Alison realising almost that she's in some sort of sitcom existence. And I don't think it's that show at all. I think it, that's not that's completely the wrong approach. And I think I went into this maybe expecting something that it isn't. And I, I have to say, much as I found, I found the first five a real slug, I did enjoy the last three more. And... I by the end, and like we said, we will talk about the end. I have to say, by about the end of episode five, I turned to my wife and I said, "I'm not watching this anymore after this series." I, I'm to one season because it's been renewed for a second season very quickly. It was renewed. I'm not coming back. But then the last five minutes have changed my mind for reasons we'll talk about. So I am going to come back because I am intrigued. So maybe that means that there's potential, and maybe I've got to approach season two with a. A different mindset it, as to what this is. Yeah, my, I, I, for reasons I, th- I think that's good. Uh, when we talk about specific episodes or reasons, I've got an idea of what I think the show was hinting at, but it wouldn't be. I was pretty much literally whilst waiting for Tony because he was late to recording as usual. Don't give much... the how we make the sausage away, lay them. Come on, <laughs> or my ineptitude um, slash. But yeah, I was re- I was rewatching an episode and which I think was probably the best episode of the, of the series so far, which was episode six, which um, I can't remember the name of the, the title. The, the Grand movie, Victorian, I think that one was yeah, called. And it, yeah, and it basically it's it's the episode that combine, that seems to somehow feel as comfortable in combining the combination of the two show styles and also feels like it's the one that's taking a deliberate uh, exploration of a certain sitcom trope. And mixing it with and, and this other show, and there's a bit, there's a bit where, and it works, it works really well. And there's a bit where I think uh, Alison, played by Annie Murphy, speaks to Sam, played by actor whose name I can't remember, which is a weird name for an actor. Um, <laughs> and he, he goes, "No, you're in control. You're everything. You're in control. Everything rises." And she's like, oh, "What? What? What?" And then part of me clicked and thinking, "See, now I really want to hold on to the fact that." that they're actually in a sitcom and that the show's about sitcom characters and everything around it and but as i think as probably talking there are kind of suggestions that it's just it's going down the kind of one division route which i'm not particularly a fan of but with this i think if they'd slightly scoot it it could be the fact that it could be two tv shows kind of conflicting each other where you've got this kind of kind of drab breaking bad knockoff running the same time as a sitcom and they're fighting each other and that um Alison doesn't actually know she's the lead character of this kind of gritty cable show and she somehow is married to a sitcom character and i I'd, and i i found that idea very interesting and i i thought man if it was like that it if it was if it was that and if they managed to do a lot more like the episode did in terms of combining these two kind of different timely shows and crossing over, because there's a lot of crossover in that episode um, where where characters that you've never seen in the sitcom world suddenly appear and interact with Kevin, and also uh, the character of Nick appears as well. It, it's I I, I I feel that it could have done better if it melded those that kind of premise more, and it doesn't feel like it, I don't think it's doing that either. So I don't think whereas you thinking it was like someone who's finding herself in a in an actual sitcom and breaking out my thought was that it could be two two actual shows c- combining together and again i think that as you as you said it's not going to end up being like that and i think the 
it's it's kind it's kind of like how people have ideas of what Lost was going to be like, um, mm. and then a bit disappointed that it didn't match up their own kind of internal theory. And I, I feel that this that's going to happen with this. And but I think that I think this show might actually be more devastating for it than Lost was. Yeah, I I, I think it, we should probably talk a little bit about these different styles since we've sort of gone down that route here because we have, as you've described, we have two. This is a show built of two very different worlds that are put together. You have the conventional sitcom, uh, as in the conventional type of sitcom that this is not lampooning, but commenting on, which we'll talk a bit bit more about in a a little while. But because it's not all American sitcom, it's almost a specific subgenre, almost, of sitcom. Um, But... It's got that on the one hand, and the show actually presents itself in that fashion. It looks like a sitcom with that kind of warm collar, the 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 the, the traditional sort of home set with the one with the several camera views facing forward on the set, like you know, like, like we're looking, like we're where the wall is, you know, and then we're looking in on the on the on the living room, and then you have the action take place there with the one liners, with the laughter track, which. You know, in this day and age, is increasingly passe with comedy on both sides of the channel, really. So you have a very traditional style of show there, which Annie Murphy is part of. And then on the, on the flip side, the moment that... And then the, the key thing is it's the moment that particularly Kevin and some of those other characters leave the room, we switch into, like you say, this quite dark, gritty character drama that has shades of Breaking Bad, Ozark, these kind of almost modern American noir, neo-noir kind of stories that are all about people, broken people who are looking to escape their circumstances in various different ways. In Alison's case, she is looking to escape, in many ways, the, the trope that she actually is. And that that is key to the whole concept, in that Alison is a trope. She is the wife of a character that we're supposed to find funny, a boorish sitcom character who everyone thinks, how could this beautiful woman be married to this fat bozo, basically? And that's what you see in all of these different shows that this, this is commenting on. And in this case, we then, it's, it's, it's like we, we flip... We flick a switch, and then we're with the character the moment she walks out of the room, and that—that's the—that's the key. It's an intersection, which is really fascinating, and it's a—it's one of those genuinely genius little ideas that, if you understand the mechanisms of comedy, and I think it only works in the vein of comedy and sitcom, and if you understand that intersectionality and how you could fit that in, it's a very good idea taking a trope and unpicking it and placing it in a much more real world dramatic context it's a fascinating idea but the the problem the key problem i think that the show has is that and this was one of the first things my wife said when she because she watched the first one with me and then very quickly checked out to be honest and the, the biggest comment she had was why are they spending half the episode on this awful sitcom because it because it is awful. Like it's not funny, and that and that, and you're not supposed to laugh at it. That's the thing. That's the 
that's the if, if you're laughing at that sitcom then you're the problem <laughs> you know <laughs> it, in that you're exactly the kind of problem and the and the kind of audience that this is skewering and i think she had a point in that she couldn't understand why we were spending so much time with the sitcom i think that there is a point to that as the show progresses and i understand why that choice is made but the problem you end up with is you end up with a 45 minute show at least 15 to 20 minutes of which is this terrible sitcom and then you've got the rest of it as a tonal counterpoint that doesn't always connect properly and, and I, I i that was that was the biggest thing for me i kept thinking i know we're not watching two different shows but at the same time we are that's the point and i never i never wanted to go back to the sitcom is the point oh I, I wanted to just stay in the allison world and explore that yet i kept having to go back to this awful sitcom See, I didn't have an issue with the sitcom. Um, I, I, it, it's it's unfunny, but it's deliberately unfunny uh, in the way that it kind of manifests itself. I think there is an intent of why the scene to spend so long for. I mean, um, reading the AV Club reviews, a lot of the comment, couple of the comments highlighted the fact that I think that there just showed that. I mean, a show eventually, I think Kevin will end up killing himself anyway. So, um, <laughs> or either that, either that, or he's actually immortal. And it's supposed to see how they function without Alison as a character. But again, but I think it lingers on too long and it doesn't quite, as you said, connect fully. So you are, so it doesn't really hammer that point home. And eventually you get to the point where you are thinking, okay, yeah we are spending far too long here um or at least if if they're going to be spending as much time as they do particularly in the first half of the series on the sitcom stuff then at least they need to be either have either allison or even patty but at that point particularly i think i'm thinking of episode four with the escape room the characters aren't physically there to interact with them so you haven't got that kind of meta contextual kind of extra layer of things that you have again with and I'm, I'm sorry to keep bringing that episode up it's episode six again where event where you have that kind of crossover of things so you have so you have uh is it robin lord taylor as nick so he's here so. in the background and yeah. you see um allison react to him um, walking past uh and react as the the con the the showtime um, the showtime world um, I'll, call, mm. I'll call it for the for the yeah. cable channel stuff um reacting as that whilst in the sitcom stuff you don't have that kind of extra layer in those kind of subplots so when kevin neil and peter are doing the um the skate room there's no real thing apart from i think showing occasionally he has to phone allison to ask where things are and it's not a case of oh where is she where is she it's where's so and so is where so and so and stuff yeah, and that's I think that's the issue we've got. But again, it's something like they, they there's a switch that flicks, and then with episode seven and eight, it crosses over more, a lot more. And I feel like the writers are starting to figure that stuff out, but figured it out a bit too late. Whereas they really should have perhaps taken an extra draft or two, um, and for, worked out how to incorporate a lot more earlier on, rather than waiting until until like two thirds of the way in. Yeah, and, and I'm not convinced this needed to be eight episodes either. Not not the not the story of this first season. I feel like you could have done this in at the most six, and I think it would have been fine. And I, 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 let's at this point spool back to the inspiration for this because obviously we've we've established we've got these two these two styles, and that the point is about Alison 
Alison's deep unhappiness as this as the trope she doesn't know she is essentially, and that we're going into a sitcom world and then flicking a switch. So we've we've established we've got a show that is commenting very specifically on a certain type of sitcom and a certain type of toxic masculinity and a particularly toxic marriage and visage of an American man. So where does that come from? How much do you know about the chief inspiration for this? A show called Kevin Can Wait, which obviously is where they get... It's not, it's not a lampoon of that show specifically, but it's where they get the Kevin Can Fuck Himself title, which is... Yeah. deliberately about the idea that this kind of boorish male trope can fuck himself, essentially. That's what the title is saying. So how much do you know about that show? Not loads about it. I know enough of the surface level about why it was a target. Um, Kevin James, who I, um, I don't think he's that much of a big name over here. Uh, he's at the, all. He, he was Paul Blart Moorcock, so people might know him from that, mightn't they? Possibly. I, I've, I've got a feeling a lot of people don't, can't be asked or don't know who Paul... <laughs> who Paul Block more copies apart from people who listen to uh, Commode and Mayo. I mean, uh, I, I hope people don't... <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. I hope people don't know who Paul Block more copies because you're better off, but... Yeah, but Kev, I think... Yeah, Kev, yeah Kevin James... Um, I, 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 can't think of, I can't think of a real British co- comparison to make. Mm. Um, part of me wants to say James Corden, uh, well, but yeah, so, I don't uh, think... Mm. I don't think that's... I don't think... I don't think that's correct. No. I think James Corden is actually probably is I mean, as much as I know your personal distaste of him. I think James Corden's got a wider variety of quote unquote talents that he taps into. No, I would um, agree with that. Uh, yeah, as much as I loathe him, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and he the, doesn't the close... fit this type that Kevin James particularly has played in multiple sitcoms. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, my closest I, I almost thought of Miranda, but I again. I'm not a fan of Miranda, but I think again, like, from what I know of the Kevin Can Wait and the Kevin James, he comes. I think he was in Kings. Of, was he in Kings of Queens? King, the King everybody of Queens. Raymond, the, or uh, I think it was the Queens. King of Queens and Everybody Loves Raymond. I think he did all of them. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I. Th- yeah. My, and I thought he might have been kind of like Miranda, where he's like it's a very divisive person, a very divisive actor who he's. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Very popular and appeals to a quite a large sub- subset, but he's also very divisive critically. Um, I was going to... And- I was also going to say whether it was going to be like Mrs. Brown's Boys, but I th- I do think that it's unfair to compare Miranda to Mrs. Brown's Boys because I think there is a there's a lot more attempt at doing something different with Miranda as opposed to what I think is a conventional sitcom. Kevin can wait, but yeah, I think 
so yeah, uh, you, back to the original know, question. Well, do you know the, the, the specific reason that this show yeah. takes Kevin Can Wait and does what it does? Yeah, because they killed off his wife at the end of the, during the first and second season, and um, they cast a new love interest by with uh, I think the person who played his wife in King yeah. of Queens, Leah, Leah Remini, um, who was yeah his wife in King of Queens, and they they yeah they kill off his his wife in the show, bring her in, and she was a former rival. Uh, the the he, he basically the, the, the character he's playing is is a a, a, a re- recently retired police officer, and she plays. The, the love right the rival in a security company that he set up and then obviously becomes a bit of a love interest and that and it was cancelled after that second season after that and I think that was the point wasn't it where the the writers behind Kevin can fuck himself saw that the the treatment of a sitcom wife in that instance somebody just being killed off was a, a space I think where they thought well why Oh, why is a why is a female character being treated in such a callous, off-handed way simply to service this kind of trope, this kind of boorish male trope that there is, like you said, there is an audience for. There is absolutely an audience for that Kevin James kind of comedy. I mean, I, I, did you ever watch any like King of Queens? Because I, I I I saw a little bit of it. I used to watch when it was on things like Comedy Central back in the day. Because this was going back into the two thousands, I think. The, the King of Queens. No. And, and it was I never fine. Did. It was all right. I quite fancied Leah Romania, if I'm honest, <laughs> back then. I, I, see, I it wasn't anything see, special. I, no, I never did. I think it was because it was never thrown in with the prime time. And mm. I was trying to think of. I can't think of a US sitcom that was extremely massive that followed the kind of home life reaction, uh, the home life situation. I mean. Uh, there's a very weird. There's a very weird thing um, over here where some primetime sitcoms are, are shown on children's channels or teenage channels, like in the evening. Whereas, like their prime time in the US are like mm. stuff like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, My Wife and Kids, mm. uh, and um, those kind of shows are kind of thrown in with the, like the Troubles or your Bravos and all your that kind of TV channel. Um, but I can't think of a US sitcom that followed the kind of either the kind of followed the home family life. In that usual like multicam sitcom way, because um, I think I think like ones before the linchpin for the linchpin is the international success of Friends, which kind of which was like groundbreaking in that it was neither a workplace or family sitcom, and that was that was slightly big. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a show called Friends. Um, mm, it was it was kind maybe. of popular. Maybe heard of it, yeah. Yeah, whereas, whereas, like, I'll, I'll read about, like, kind of these, like, I Love Lucy or the Dick Van Dyke show and stuff that was pretty much, particularly, let's talk about, if you look at WandaVision, there's quite an interesting commentary, particularly from within the behind the scenes of the We Made This Network that we have. A lot of the British viewers probably struggle with some of, the, struggle perhaps with the minutiae of the early episodes, um, the early episodes, because we never really had the success of the Brady Bunch or the Dick Van Dyke show. Or no. Bewitched. Well, sh- no, Bewitched. No, no, actually, Bewitched, I think, got more popular in the 90s because of reruns. But I don't think there was really... I don't think there was an audience for that kind of show here. So the that kind of trope, I think, is probably probably not... was not accessibly known to us when we come to it, watch this. It wouldn't have been as prevalent in our popular culture, would it, really? I th- These things, I think, were probably shown at some point. But, yeah, you're right. I think... It, 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 for one division, it was the, it was the tropes as you got further along. It was things like you know, married with children or modern family or th- those kind yeah. of things where people understood 
the dynamics a bit more because they were the things that were, like you said, shown in perpetuity on British TV in the 90s and onwards, just constantly on repeats. And then when you got to cable, that's when you start to see more of these creep in. And like I say, that was where I saw King of Queens. You know, that, that was where I occasionally would see that come on. And it, it, it filled that, spe- that specific kind of void. And it's, it's interesting how there have been, been comparisons between Kevin Can Fuck Himself and One Division as, since it's come out. And even though, obviously, One Division's a very different kind of show in a very different kind of space, it is essentially, again, deconstructing particular tropes around a broken, damaged woman, female character. So it's interesting how it's take it, it, it's trying to frame that kind of damage through this ostensibly quite throwaway comic world because the comedy of the whatever the Kevin show would be called, and we don't know exactly what the title of that show could be called. You know, it's <laughs> Kevin's Kevin something probably. We know. need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk. About- <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh- <laughs> But it would be about Kevin, wouldn't it? It would be the focus, like that show, Kevin Can Wait. It was, it was, it's, it's the Kevin character who, in that world, is important. Everything in that sitcom flows around Kevin. And the joke, the joke is supposed to be, there's two sides of the joke, isn't there? Either the joke is that you find Kevin lovable in all the ways he's, he's selfish and narcissistic and abusive so it's 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 your kind of sheldon cooper eric cartman yeah uh well perhaps actually no uh eric cartman's just evil incarnate when you think about it but it's that i think the the terminology i've i've seen online and i don't really know the character that well and i think um it's a character called archie bunker who i think was in the 50s mm. or 60s yeah i've heard the name and i don't know I th- and much. any u.s listeners will probably shoot me if we get the name wrong. I think the sitcom was all in the family, I think. Uh, but the idea... But the, I think the joke... Like, but he'd like... At the end of the episode, he'd be going like to his wife, goes, one of these days, right in the kisser, or something like that. I think yeah, that, it was something yeah. like that. Or to the moon, or something like that. But it's something that's it's been parodied in like uh, Family Guy and stuff. And um, hilariously, a very, very short-lived Trey Parker and Matt Stone sitcom called That's My Bush, which was basically using these sitcom tropes with George Bush, where he, where um, he would end one of these days, Laura, I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, and you'd hear and you'd hear the crowd, uh, the studio audience, chant along with him. And it's that kind of almost like glorifying domestic violence. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, don't think, I, I don't think Kevin is, is portrayed as that kind of character because he, he's more self-involved and... Then kind yeah, of Archie Bunker way. It, it's a different kind of abuse. It's it's the emotional abuse with Kevin. It's not that you necessarily get the, the, the feeling he's going to hit Alison or he's going to he's going to you know that. But you get. The, but he is he is just neglectful. He's abusive. The other side of the comedy that you could be coming at that and laughing at that sitcom with is Alison's exasperation, or you know the, the the idea that she's we know she's trapped. And the comedy comes from laughing at that situation, at how constantly she's, oh, Kevin, you know. It, it's it's quite a good way of introducing the show because that's the first time you see Alison. She comes in with like a tray and Kevin's being his normal self. And then she goes out and I think she just slams the tray down or she drops the tray and it snaps into this dark world. It, it's really quite arresting, actually, as a starting point because you were completely thrown out of, of where you are. And you're because because it is such a breaking convention because you know you you know in, in most sitcoms the character might exit go into the kitchen 
and you don't see the kitchen. You know, you've got this one camera set, and and like and then they might come back and that kind of thing. That's the old traditional way. And to flick it and to see that character in a completely different context is a fascinating idea. It's really clever, and it's quite at first quite shocking in a way to do that. But I think the problem becomes that I don't think the show ever quite manages to figure out how to really go down a road where it's interrogating the idea behind this without it seeming that it's kind of just copying a lot of these cable dark dramas of the like we talked about before that we've seen done way better multiple times before and and yeah and and i think it's it, it part of me wants to say it doesn't know what kind of show it is but that's the whole point the whole point is that it's two shows the whole point is that we, we you couldn't much as all the all the way through part of me was thinking at the beginning oh this would be better without the sitcom stuff you couldn't make this without the sitcom stuff that's the point you're supposed to see you're supposed to see kevin in this way because we're supposed to and and ultimately the payoff and we see this in the final few seconds where the character of Neil, who is the the stooge for Kevin, yeah. the dumb best friend, is brought into Alison and Patty's dynamic. You know, gets smashed on the head. It's almost like he's broken through an, an invisible barrier, in a way, between two different worlds. And he's smashed over the head and he wakes up. He's like, what the hell? And he's in that world now. He's in the darker, more realistic world. And it'll be fascinating in season two to see how they take a character like that who's the dumb best friend and they they try and make him an actual rounded human being and the payoff in theory depending on how long this show goes is that do you get to a point where kevin ends up in that world too and that that for me i don't know about you that as i got to the end of that season i saw what they did with neil i thought this potentially could be quite an exciting payoff when we get to the point that that kevin ends up having to talk to allison and confront allison in a in this different world I think that's quite exciting as a as a, as an actual narrative idea for me. It's an interesting concept um, to think of in terms of how that final scene goes in. But I think before we go into the implications of that even further, the one thing that kind of suggests and that I struggled with in terms of these series was the logistics and the the rules of of the of the different of the different. Um, the different shows, so to, yeah. so to speak, because they're not quite worlds, um, are they? Because it, it's making it no. sound like we're in parallel worlds. We're not, but it's like different no. styles of seeing the same events. Yeah, because yeah. because the, the first two episodes, you see pretty much Annie Murphy is in every more or less every scene, and you are, and whenever it's whenever it's her, she is in the the Showtime the Showtime world, and and you only ever see the sitcom when Kevin's in there, and and that's how it works. But then I think episode three is when you suddenly see. Patty's point of view, and you start thinking, and it starts thinking. Oh, so you start seeing the kind of behind the scenes of what revolves around the multicam set. Um, but then I think it's episode six or seven where you've suddenly got Patty and Neil speaking to Tammy, the police officer, and the and every everything is in a sitcom world, and but Kevin's not there. It's rolling around them, and there's things online about whether Neil's brought in that kind of headspace as well. But then, if the suggestion was there that kind of like Alison's projecting the sitcom like sitcom version of events onto Kevin to deal with the mundanity of it, it doesn't make sense that it's happening without Alison. It, it in the same way that 
you can rationalise how it, how it's dealt with one with one division in terms of the sphere of influence that Wanda had. So that Wanda had in one division, she was creating this thing with magic around her, so things could happen without her being there. But I I couldn't get a sense of what was happening, and part of me thinks the show was aiming for that, but I can't. There's no logical hook to come in so, which means that the eventual payoff as you said of oh if we see kevin in allison's showtime world I, I i can't see how it will work to that if that makes sense but is it is it based more on perceptions in terms of the fact that maybe it, it we, we we never we, yes we see allison in kevin's world but in many ways when we're in that sitcom we're seeing that world through kevin's eyes Really, we're not really seeing it, and that and that's the key in that there are plenty of scenes where Alison isn't in that sitcom world. So you know there are mo- there are plenty of those moments where she's not in there. It's just Kevin. It's those guys. It's sometimes it's Patty as well, who is the who is event. She starts off as a little bit of antag- antagonist for Alison, and then eventually they become closer, and then we start to see how Patty's kind of se- semi sort of bromantic place within this this gaggle of guys is is quite self-destructive to her own you know her own life and her own sexuality that's in flux and all this kind of thing so she she has quite an interesting plot there but we see these characters through kevin's prism so it's more the fact that maybe when the if these characters flip because there's also the dad there's also the, the character of kevin's dad who is also in there who's this old geezer he just sort of goes along with every everything else. So in theory, he's another character who could be flipped. And then, and but it's all about seeing it from Alison's perspective. So maybe, in a way, the rules aren't the point. Maybe we don't need the rules. In that, technically, they are all in. They are all here. They're all in the same space. They're all in the same story. But we're just seeing these things from these different prisms. And th- and those prisms, depending on the characters, we're seeing them through these different styles of storytelling. And with with Alison, because she is depressed, wants a different life, wants to escape this role of the sitcom wife that she doesn't know she is, uh, of a life that she settled for, really, and she feels she could be more, then maybe that's the point. Whereas Kevin is so oblivious and he's living in this fun world where everything's cool, yeah, bro, you know, and, and that and it will be quite fascinating to see him through Alison's prism. If, if it flips, because then it will be a completely different person. We will see. We would see him in theory for who he was. Or in, it acts, actually, we could see him in a completely different way, a more sympathetic way in a weird way. Do, do you know what I mean? And, and it will depend, I think, on, on where the story goes, you know? And because obviously in, this, in the plot we have in the, in the Alison's world, she, she's, she's trying to bump him off, which... It's odd. But, that, that, yeah. All that stuff's a bit odd, but anyway, that's separate. But yeah, but then you have then, but then you'll have um, characters who seem to never met Kevin before suddenly being drawn into that world, or characters who suddenly who doesn't seem to who you wouldn't expect to be drawn in also being drawn in. Like for example, uh, the police officer Tammy, um, yeah. Sam, Sam's wife. That's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. They suddenly they suddenly appear. Nick, uh, Nick, who's going to kill him. Is in there as well, but then again, Alison does kind of flip into that mold of uh, and into the dynamics and the and the rhythms of sitcom sitcomery, if you will. I don't know. It's just there's just something which means which feels that it's getting to a point where if we see behind the curtain and we find out 
what this thing is. I don't think... I think it's kind of ruined ruined potential reveals already. Um, or, or the most likely reveals, it's ruined by kind of having the having the linchpin characters, so you will, of Kevin and Alison, of these two mm. worlds, have having things happening without them. So if it's a case that, you know, in case that Kevin is actually really abusive and Alison is using... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. He's kind of trying to lighten it by portraying him as this sitcom character. It wouldn't make sense because you have Neil, Patty, and Tammy in like talking about talking about the uh, the gunshot more or less. There's something that Neil gets Tammy gets Tammy's um, advice for about how to interrogate. No, yeah, it's, it's it's yeah, I remember now. It's um, I can't remember exactly what he's trying to find out, but Neil learns how to interrogate people like a police officer from Tammy, but it's done in a way that has that, in the sitcom world, that that has a different flow that you would not expect from what you've seen of the character of Tammy um, to do. She's suddenly then drawn into this, like, sitcom dynamic, which I think is, either, which is probably Neil, and who is probably independent from whatever trauma uh, Alison or even Kevin is portraying. So the, the, the laws just, it's just something about it's just I can't get it's slightly annoying that I can't get a handle on how that works because I've got a feeling that I've got a feeling it's a, it's a show that will eventually explain and reveal what's going on and it wouldn't fully work. Hey everyone, this is Tony, network chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you've just listened to, or you're just about to listen to. We'd love to keep the lights on a bit longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights on the website and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent Pool on podcasting, pop culture, and you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. So just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash we made this to get the ball rolling. Now, back to your scheduled programming. Let's talk a little bit about Annie Murphy in this, because... She's obviously this is the first big role she's had since Shit's Creek, which was 
a show that I only watched last year and was one of those shows that really slowly built a real massive following, uh, you know, over time over net in, in Netflix. And it, it's, it, I, th- I think, <laughs> I think it was, the, it was Ted, it was, te- it was the Ted Lasso effect before Ted Lasso existed, basically in terms of that feel good comedy that nobody quite saw coming. Mm-hmm. And then when you watch mm-hmm. it, you leave it feeling like you've just, you just don't want to leave these people behind. Basically, you feel like a better, per- you feel like a better yeah. person after watching. Totally, this. Yeah, you really it's, do. It's it's, 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 par- it's it, the Parks and Rec thing. It's the Parks and Rec yeah, thing. I think. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. But I quite, but um, yeah. I mean, with, with Shit's Creek, I think it's great that the premise seems to be let's have a main quartet and the weaker half being Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. Um, <laughs> well, that takes some doing in itself, doesn't it? Because that's the thing. Yeah, it, it's really um, Daniel Levy and, and Annie Murphy who are the the brilliant performers in that as David and Alexis. And and so so she's come off that role where she pl- I mean that's the thing they are all they shit's creep they they are all loathsome rich people to begin with and by the end you love them to bits and they all go through these wonderful changes and and Alexis is just the the prototypical Kardashian esque spoiled brat princess and by the oh, end yeah, she's 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 ra- she's become I think one of my top ten favorite characters of all time she's so she's- good. Yeah. She's my favourite character at the lot, at the lot of them, and a lot of that is because Annie Murphy manages to make yeah. what should be a kind of Paris Hilton caricature yeah. into, and kind of you see her grow and turn into this kind of um, almost selfless kind of caring individual yeah. that yeah. you're glad you're, that you're glad to have followed for like six seasons. Totally, and, and I, I think that, like you say, that is because she's she's so good in the role. Like mm-hmm. re- really good. The amazing thing is as well ooh, when you hear ooh, him talk. David. Oh, <laughs> yeah. David. The, ooh, well, David. <laughs> she she was about to quit acting. You know, she was on the verge for Shit's Creek of giving up because she wasn't getting anywhere and then suddenly this came along and changed her life. And it's incredible really. And there's another universe where she just doesn't become she goes into does something completely different and we never get this. And you know, she she she's absolutely fantastic. She they're all brilliant, but she particularly at points really stands out in that show. So to give her a role like this and give her her own show makes complete sense. And I don't think she's bad in this at all. I think she's actually really good in this role, which is a very different role to Alexis. It's, you know, it is the put upon Bostonian. So she's got the broad accent going on, you know, she's, it's a, it's a put upon quite dowdy Bostonian wife who, has visions of of this more exciting, glamorous life. And what I liked about this was that she wasn't virtuous in the sense of, you know, she could have just been seen as a victim trying to break away from this boorish husband. But in some ways, I I keep wondering if Alison isn't in in a way a a bigger villain. Because if you think about it, she, she tries to kill her husband, for one thing, and... She has an affair with a man who he's a nice guy, but you know she she she's unfaithful. Now, for all of Kevin's boorish manchild nature within that sitcom, he doesn't do anything like that to her, and 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 that and it's almost quite fascinating. In that, is it one of those things where she's driven to extremes because of a life with this guy who is an idiot? Or is it that she's actually quite disturbed in her own way 
and and I, I I sometimes think the show is is going to take us down an interesting path there because I think it's trying to suggest, like a lot of these you know cable dramas that you mentioned earlier do, that these characters who are morally compromised are, are, are quite often are coming from a place of if not virtue then they're trying to save things they're trying to either save their family or they're trying to escape a circumstance but then they sort of get drawn down into doing more more and more terrible things i wonder if that's a kind of path that she might go down for all she might seem like a victim is she you know and and i thought that was interesting what they did there again i again i I go back to my theory of two tv shows conflicting with each other because you have the anti you have the kind of like cable anti-hero which I mean, which I think if the, if somehow that is actually what is happening, it should make rewatching the earlier episodes a lot more interesting in context because yeah, you've got your because you've got because as you'll have like Walter White interacting with uh, Kevin James more or less, mm. Um, mm. Like, clashing with each other. I, I and I really hope that I really hope that there is some element to that because it makes it a lot more interesting in that, and it's not just a commentary on commentary on. Um, what would be a kind of almost emotionally abusive marriage? Because um, again, again, if we go back to if we go back to the last few minutes with the thing with Neil, the thing that you, you what you didn't mention um, was during that conversation, he actually becomes physically violent towards Alison, and that's the moment that's the true. sitcom lets go through. And it's a case that he's actually being quite physically violent and dangerous. And that flip switch, that flip switch meant that what used to be kind of like a like a, almost a frat like a, a frat guy who never actually managed to be smart enough to go to college but act like a frat guy um he's actually quite dangerous then you yeah, you yeah. don't really know what kevin is like no. and no so it's true yeah it, it could be like extremely emotionally manipulative and we, we 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 get this kind of visions of what um kevin has done uh, and you get all these references stuff and they are kind of you get all these kind of offhanded kind of oh yeah this is like exposition dialogue in both sitcom and so and so like um apparently like got him, he got Alison fired from a paralegal job yeah um, yeah he's he, he used all the money spending some on like some weird kind of contraption that you'll find in sitcom stuff and that really devastates that, her doesn't it because it's the whole thing of how she's she she believed that he wouldn't do that and then in the sitcom world, that would be a joke. That would be, oh, he blew all the money. Oh, and she's like, oh, Kevin. And yet in the but, real world, she's like, you actually destroyed, you've destroyed my life. You've blown all that out. You know, it's, it's, it's much, with, in the cold light of day, it's a much more awful thing that he's done, isn't it? And that's the whole point of this show. Yeah. But even in the Showtime world, the, the reasons that those are, those are done are still sitcom plots. Yeah. Whereas, are still a sitcom tropes that a kind of heightened reality and a thing of reasons that reasons that in perhaps a cable drama you wouldn't really see. So yeah, it's either it's either Kevin is really disturbed and is living out a sitcom lifestyle and actually like buying money on all sorts of stuff, crazy stuff that you only see sitcom characters do. Or again, there's an element that might suggest the sitcom is actually real, um, and again that goes back to the point of I'm not 100 sure what the logic is there. So it, so and it kind of shoots itself in the foot if they're going down the kind of realistic, the reality, reality angle. Unless, unless as I just said, Kevin is 
like just completely obsessed with thinking his life is a sitcom. It's it's hard to say, isn't it? Really, it's it, I still subscribe to the idea that this is all perspectives, and I, and I think you could. It, it would be fascinating to try and play a scene like the one that Kevin has with his dad, with Neil, and Alison and Patty, without the sitcom style to it. And you play exactly the same kind of dialogue and you play exactly the same kind of idea, but you don't do it in that style. You do it in the style of, the sh- if you like, the Showtime drama, as you described. And how that perspective would look so different and how a lot of what they were saying and how the way these characters acted would be, all- like you said, more menacing, perhaps, more disturbing, more like that they are just pathological you know, either psychos or just, you know, and, and that's the thing, because the show feels like, from a thematic point of view, it's trying to decrypt the idea that within in this kind of comedy, in this kind of, say, Kevin James, you know, style of, of comedy, these kind of me- men are designed to be characters that you, like I said earlier, you find lovable because of how awful they are, because of all these terrible things they do, and that American sitcom particularly, because like you say... I don't think there really is a British analogue in the same way. But the American, American sitcom likes to find a way to give these guys a free pass, to let them off the hook when they're treating their partners terribly or they're doing all these awful selfish things or they're getting into all these schemes. And, and you know, with sitcom and comedy, it's always about taking something that in the cold light of day would be awful and raising it to comic and heightened effect. And we can laugh at it as an audience because we know it's safe. We know it's a comedy. And that, I think that's the whole thing with the visuals in this show as well, because, like I said at the beginning, the comedy is, is filmed in this kind of warm glow. You know, no, no matter what awful things Kevin might be doing, it's always quite fuzzy and warm. It's always quite orange-tinted. It has that sense that it's okay, it's cosy, it's a sitcom. And then when, but when Alison's in her world, it's cold, it's dark, it's much more washed out. And, it's, it's, you, and, and it particularly striking is when you see the living room, you see that set through Alison's eyes and it's a completely different room you know it's so different that set without it's, that it's comic the, trappings and it's it's quite it's, arresting I think but uh, what I find quite interesting is that because I was I was because I've, I've watched a couple of interviews now um particularly with uh crap what's his name the guy who plays Kevin oh Eric Peterson is it or something like that yeah yeah, Eric Peterson. Um, uh, which coincidentally, I think this is like his first major TV role. But he's, wow. he's like played Shrek. But he's like he's a Broadway, he's a Broadway theatre star. Uh, so he's played, he's played Shrek. It. He's he's been he's in loads. Very he's very good. He's, he's, a, he's a very, he's quite. I think he's a, quite a recognisable name actually in terms of Broadway. But this is like his first real kind of major TV gig, which I think actually kind of helps when you think about the sitcom bit where he's talking about. Um, and the, the, basically the energy he gives off during the sitcom because he's, he's like he's interacting inside of a front live voice studio audience. What I found quite interesting is that during those interviews, he says that the sets are the same. So the, the multicam and the single cam are all filmed on the same set. Okay. So the living room set is filmed. Uh, they film the, the sitcom bit and then all they have to do, I think they kind of dim the lights. I think they move the walls in slightly. And right. And okay. they bring the fourth wall in and yeah. it's the same set. So, which is which I quite like because... It has that very strong sense of continuity because they're using mm. the same sets. It brings in that they're in the same worlds and the crossing over. So when you suddenly have, um, again, episode episode six, when they're in the restaurant, Kevin leaves, and immediately the next cut, they're in the restaurant again. The lighting's dower, the lighting's more naturalistic. Um, it's the same set. Everything's still the same prop, so, it's the thing, so they're not building everything twice. And that kind of, I do quite appreciate how that production value kind of 
it gives you the sense of those two worlds matching, but they're also in the same world as well. Mm, mm. That is really interesting, and I, I, th- I think that's a testament to the the thought process behind this show. Because for all the for all the facts, I'm not sure the drama or works, and we know the comedy doesn't work, but that's the point. But in order for that comedy, to, the 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 awfulness of that comedy to be I think more engaging. I think the drama would should have been working better, and I don't always think the drama works better. But I appreciate the level of d- detail and thought that has actually gone into this show in terms of trying to make us. Even though I agree with you that the, some of the rules don't necessarily all line up, I think the visual aesthetic of it and the stylings behind what they're trying to do do, and I think they've got a good grasp. I, I you know I imagine they have quite a comprehensive bible as such as to what this show is and what they want to tease out and what they want to unfurl as time goes on, which is why I am actually curious now to see where it goes. Because I, 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 th- I think there could be some quite rich, dramatic appeal to this. And from a pers- and, and, and I, I wonder, is this something that... Is this something that's going to appeal more to people, maybe like you and I, who take an interest in the making of comedy and the making of drama and maybe know a little bit about some of these tropes and, and and find this kind of stuff interesting. I kept wondering, how accessible is this for an audience? How accessible is this for people just coming in? Are they going to be really, if not confused, because I don't necessarily, I think people will get the gist, roughly, of what's going on, but will they be a bit detached? I keep thinking people will, and I don't mean this in a slight to my wife in any way, because she's very perceptive and she's very smart, and when we talked about what I thought about some of this, she, you know, she, she she's... She agreed and things like this, but she's the whole perception she had of why are we spending so much time in this sitcom? Is this something that people out there might feel? You know, it, it, would they get what this show maybe is trying to do? Because does the show mm. know? And that's what I keep wondering. Does the show really yeah. know yet? And I don't know. I do think that the writers perhaps started to figure out the best way of combining things as the series went on. So, as you said, it was it got more interesting during the last three episodes yeah. uh, because there is much more of an overlap and crossover between the two storylines. Whereas, like, I think episode five might have been... See, episode four or five is when they get a new patty. Oh, but yeah, because, yeah. Because mm-hmm. of... Yeah, I think it's episode five, yeah, because it's when they come back from the trip. Um, they come back because um, they kick Patty out of the group and they replace him with Patty. But that's a consequence of what happens in the other one. Whereas episode, and again, episode six, episode six is the show I really want it to be, um, where, it just, where everything's constantly crossing over. It's commenting on a specific overdone sitcom trope of being in two places at once. Um, and episode seven and eight kind of have the build up to Alison's basically Alison wanting to get Nick to kill Kevin um, but because of the sick I, I, I'm assuming this that Kevin because Kevin's the main character of his own world um, he's he's unkillable but then uh, there's like he has a kind of existential crisis to a point where there's even moments in the sitcom world where the laugh track goes but then he gets brought back in again and then goes to run for office because of a consequence of what Alison's been doing in the whole series so far um, and it's a lot more interesting to see that happen because of the consequence of what's happening in each of them rather than having a random escape room appear for that has no real lasting impact apart from a couple of times just to show that Kevin can't that Kevin can't function without Alison for like a ad for life admin so to speak yeah um, so yeah. I, but yeah I do quite think that the kind of mix between the two styles 
I think the writers have got the correct mix as the show got on. Like, they realised what they could do with the show. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Around the five, episode five or six mark. Mm. So I, I do think that perhaps it was kind of working it out as I was writing it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and that bodes well for the next season. I mean, do you think this is breaking any new ground as a show you know is it kind of trying to tell because i i do think that the the like i said the mechanism of, of what they're trying to do with allison in relation to this examining a trope within a specific style of comedy i i, I think he's really he's really clever and i've not really seen anything like that before that doesn't then go down the probably actually the more conventional road of a, of a sort of meta fourth wall breaking idea which i kept thinking of actually i think this is this is cleverer in many ways because it's actually it's within world it's within universe it's faithful to itself but it, it and but it's trying to decrypt something that an audience has understood in terms of the style of comedy that kevin inhabits and and i th- i think that's really clever i think i think it's potentially alienating i think it's niche really mm-hmm. niche in many ways i don't i, I think it I'm, I'm amazed it's done as well actually and i can i can only assume it's the annie murphy effect really it's the bounce from her um because there's nobody else really that well known in it certainly not on tv or from cinema particularly so it has to be the bounce from her and you know fair play like i say she is great i think she's just fab generally but i i don't know i mean is the do what do you think is the is this breaking a new ground or is it is it retreading things or, or is it is it not as clever as it thinks it is? I don't know. Where where do you stand on this one? I don't think it's as clever as it thinks as it thinks it is. Again, I think I think it wants to explore something, but I don't I I don't think it's thought out exactly how it should be or how it can explore that. I because I think for me personally, I think it'd be more interesting to explore the idea of emotional abuse in the marriage from sitcom cat from the kind of sitcom characters and the world around them. Whereas I feel as if it's going to go down the route of, this is someone who's manifesting their own kind of perception, to use your own, perception of the world around them, which I think has happened a bit too many times. And I think there's been like, particularly in like the last few years, again, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, where you've got kind of the idea of people kind of altering heightened reality but there's an in-universe explanation of that heightened reality. Mm. Whereas I think what I think Kevin Gennett himself should be doing is not having someone creating heightened reality, imaginary heightened reality, which gets appeared on screen, but take a kind of fantastical premise and exploring exploring that kind of a serious uh, theme through that. So through that, and again, it'd be a lot more interesting, which I think is a lot more interesting than just going down the one division route of oh, this character's creating it. Mm. If he does do that, if it, if it, if it goes down the route that I hope it goes down, 
then yeah, I think it's actually going to be breaking more Britain, probably breaking ground in terms of this is how we can tell stories or how we tell stories about telling stories about mm. Mm. about a theme and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. if if it, if it goes the route I'm going, then it's going to feel like it's kind of aping on things we've seen before. It's it, it's interesting in that I think that it's perhaps a show that that the answer to that question I think can't be answered yet. Um, because yeah. I think we have we've not seen the full story yet. No, and I, th- I I feel like it it feels like something that can't surely last that many seasons. I, I feel like this this is like three or four max. I feel like you could get out of this really, and 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 I think re- realistically, it will. It, 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 I think it will continue to go down this sort of card neo noir you know, Breaking Bad-esque style story storyline, because I think ultimately the escape... Well, I think Alison thinks the escape from Kevin is to kill him, but I think the show is... I think the point of the show is that it's not going to be that. And, and I think she's going to... I think that's what she needs to come to realise, that killing this figure is... Who, who only exists to us, and perhaps to Alison through her eyes, as this cartoonish, selfish idiot is not actually going to be the solution to a problem. And I, and I think that's where this is going to go. And and I, what I hope is that if the show does start drawing some of these characters we've only seen in a sitcom context into the real world, particularly Kevin, which doesn't feel... which could I mean, it could be an end of season, season two. It could be a season two choice. It could be a season two, end of season two reveal. It feels like something that should come towards the end of a story for me as a, as a part of payoff. I feel... I do feel like there could be some real really rich dramatic pickings here if if it's done in a way that isn't like you said too derivative but also i like like you i don't i don't really know where you go with this because i think it is quite original i think i think it is quite clever but i think it, it could it could very easily if it's not careful descend into something that just becomes way too impenetrable in some ways, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, I, th- I think the second season will either make, make or, break. or break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think it really will in this case, and I think it will either just wither away, or it could actually grow and build some momentum to the point people are really quite invested in what it's doing. That being said, I definitely think this is always going to be niche because I think, like you said, it's it's a, it's about a, it's about it's it's a story about story in many ways. It's a story about perception of story, and I think that is always going to be relatively relatively niche even if you do have a lot of people watching for Annie Murphy I think the the, 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 the it's a bit weird and I think I think that is <laughs> that's gonna make it almost a cult thing possibly as well so I like I say I am surprised it's done as well as it has even with Annie Murphy really I I, I have to say I, I didn't think it would but but yeah, it's it is it is certainly interesting. I mean, to say the least. And I, I think it's been interesting on picking this. What would you? Last question, really. Then before we wrap up, see if there's anything else on the on the table to talk about. I so I know the answer to this really because it's been all the way through. You've been pretty clear about this. But what, yeah. would you, what would you say the episode to recommend to people is? 
if they haven't seen Kevin Coon fuck himself, I mean, God knows why you've listened this far, but if you haven't, because <laughs> you know what um, they know. But what, what would you say is the standout episode then, generally, of the season? Uh, yeah, uh, episode seven. <laughs> the, episode <laughs> six. the sixth episode, uh, the, 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 but the, yeah, the sixth episode, mainly because it's for reasons I've said, it's, it's the one that I feel the show feels quite comfortable with that premise at the moment. And I'm, uh, where you're basically having, you got the usual sitcom uh, premise of a guy being in two places at once. You've got, uh, but then you've got the kind of the build up and kind of payoff to kind of lingering plot lines in Alison's kind of world, leaking into the sitcom stuff. And there's a nice hybrid. So the 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 sitcom stuff is completely watchable. It doesn't feel like previous episodes where you're kind of slogging through. Slogging through like a, a a dull plot line, thinking, "Why am I watching this?" Because it's incorporating elements of the of Annie of uh, Alison's world. You, your 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 focus is great on the thing, and it's, you can also enjoy you can also enjoy the kind of tropes of oh look, it's a sport, it's uh, it's a sports person uh, guest starring who clearly cannot act. Yeah, is only here. Is only here to like boost ratings and stuff. Yeah, Um, yeah. and then yeah, and again, there's another one where the world kind of shifts, and you see kind of like Kevin Astral projectors talk to a an idol. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But again, that's actually that's actually I did not, I didn't dislike any of the the sitcom stuff because of that, uh, because of how much it tied into it. It was actually quite enjoyable watching that bit bit come in because there's a lot of dramatic tension go through that way it's i think the show should be it's what the show should be every episode well yeah yeah i i i think i probably agree with you really i I think it's definitely going to be one of the three last three without question i think maybe i'd go for the finale to be honest mainly mainly because of that final you know reveal as well but I, i i yeah i think you're right i think when when the sitcom trappings do play with certain ideas that you would see in these kind of sitcoms and then you know goes down that road it is good it, and it, there, there there are certain tropes within there that this this show this does tap into so yeah i i i think that's true it's it takes too long this 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 season to really get there though and that's the thing i it, it really does like it's it's a good four or five episodes where I was I was waiting for the other shoe to drop in a way, and I was thinking, when is this? Re- when is this gonna? When am I gonna understand what this is completely? And I started to get it towards the end, uh, and maybe like you say, future seasons might make this first season retrospectively stronger. Possibly once we see a bit more of the bigger picture that this is going to construct, maybe. And I'm I am glad it's got a second series because I I think I would have been sad if it had ended this way and they hadn't done any more. I'd been like, this is a missed opportunity. There could be more to this. Yeah, um, I've I've seen a comment which said um, called it a bit of annoyance where it goes, oh look, it's doing the Netflix thing where suddenly the most interesting aspect gets put in the last three minutes of the series. <laughs> um, which I, I saw that and I was like, oh yeah, thinking about it. Yeah, that does happen on Netflix shows where like yeah. it gets interest, it gets really interesting, like three minutes towards the end and it's uh, <laughs> After eight like, episodes like, of yeah yeah okay cool uh, uh, before we wrap up any have you got any final thoughts anything else you want to bring to the table about kevin can fuck himself the only thing that i perhaps want to quickly mention is that i don't think it, i don't think it's tapped into this but there's a very interesting idea of say you've got like an actor who's an actor who's been in like either a cult favorite or becomes a kind of like well-known cult name 
um, has a good show or something, and then it's their next career step is interesting. So they either go into either into like dark drama with their magnus magnus opus or whatever, yeah. or they descend into the or and quite a few people have done this into procedural into kind of procedural uh, mm. cop mm. shows or, or procedural dramas or comedy dramas or even gone into sitcoms themselves. So, like, for example, I'm thinking of Nathan Fillion or David Boreanaz who have got, like, kind of cult... got a cult following between them but then ended up doing, like, Castle, doing Bones. Or, for example, or, uh, Brian Cranston who went to do this show called Breaking Bad, I think we mentioned. There's a very interesting, like, dichotomy of which direction someone goes. And they're, like, there's the idea, like, oh, so Shit's Creek's done this, like, they've done this massive hit. So what are the cast going to do next? And like Annie Murphy kind of ended up doing going in both directions. So she's done. She's gone into a, like a kind of bland sitcom, but then also in a comedy drama as well, which isn't the most exciting either. But um, I, I, I find I find that kind of aspect interesting. I don't think it's intentional, but I, I particularly I, I think that was. I just think it's interesting that it kind of sometimes like uh, particularly after a hit uh, actor just goes down either of those two routes and the show ends up being both. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is interesting. Yeah, it's a good observation, definitely. And it, this this has been a great chat. I've really enjoyed this. And um, hopefully, I imagine most people listening to this have seen the first series of this show. So do let us know what you think. <laughs> and if you haven't, I've said, why are you listening to this? They all die in the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might, yeah. Who knows? You never know how these things are going to go sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it's been great. It's been really good fun. So yeah, cheers. It's uh, it's been It's been a good chat. You'll be on, hopefully, uh, in the future, uh, talking about more than just this show, uh, either with me or other guests. But uh, until then, why don't you point people towards where else they can find you on the internet and we made this. Yeah, well, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 under the username PickaDisc, um, which coincidentally is also the name of the podcast I host on the We oh, Made This, where... What a which, coincidence. Well, it's a corporate synergy. Um, <laughs> who'd have thunked it? Um, mm. Yeah, so basically uh, I have guests come on to talk about an album f- uh, for whatever reason they want to, and we just chat for an hour and a bit about that. I'm also part of the Shit Wrestling Comatose Red Dwarf podcast with... Uh, four of the people whose names suddenly blanked on the top of my head: Kurt, Colin, Mark, <laughs> and Carl. Oh. Carl, oh, that that was harder than it looked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drawing a blank today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, actually, I think those four starred in a uh, in a sitcom after the after the uh, <laughs> podcast. Stuff. But yeah, yeah but we, we talk we talk about all sorts of things Red Dwarf related. Going through each episode, I'm in. Um, Mark and Kurt are the main hosts, and we rotate between the other three, and we occasionally do specials and stuff. Um, for example, myself and uh, you have in- done at least two at the time of recording special mm. well, specials about the British Empire. We have. Um, so yeah, and and all sorts of well. I, I'll probably crop up into the places as well. But if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Pick a Disc on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Lovely job, lovely job. I am uh, everywhere on We Made This uh, WMT underscore Network. Uh, including the uh, podcast I do at British Sitcoms, which is a, uh, a, a loose tether to what we've been talking about today. You have been watching, um, so you can find that on there. And, um, yeah, you can find me personally at AJ Black Writer, where you'll find all the links to all these different things I'm doing, um, including my work, uh, writing, podcasting, all that jazz. So thank you. Thanks for joining us for this first episode of Scheduled Programming. As I say, we will be back uh, either weekly or fortnightly talking about all kinds of new TV that's coming out with different hosts, different guests. So it won't be my or Latham's voice every week, but you're going to be treated to a lot of the 
uh, wonderful people and we made this so um yeah we are part of that network please subscribe to schedule program if you haven't already and give us a five star rating and review on apple podcasts and if you want to help out our network please consider supporting us on patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this Kevin can fuck himself is not all we're discussing, though. So we'll give you a taste of what else you might have missed on the network in just a minute. We'll be back soon to schedule more programming. So until then, do not adjust your set. Elsewhere on We Made This. Free with this month's issue. This is Fruit Tree and Red Flower Girl. Uh, This is a band that are so fucking difficult to Google because they've got such a generic name. Uh, I was trying to Google Fruit Tree Metal Band and ended up with a load of results for like little metal bands to attach fruit trees to sticks wow. to help them grow. Oh, right. Send me a link to those. The name being so generic, as I was doing my research, Esme from Hide From Time podcast had put up a post on Twitter about she was trying to do research for her forthcoming episode that she was doing where there's a, a black metal band called Spiral Staircase. And she was trying to Google black metal spiral staircase and just getting black metal spiral staircases, yep. which I thought was quite funny because it was exactly the same situation. Yeah. Well, I'm glad someone else suffered the same pain as you. Yes, absolutely. Um, they were fantastically on Casket, which is the record label that offered my on yeah. the deal as well, and we did not take it. Right in the childhood. But what I will say is... I did like watching Hannah Montana the first or second time. When we had to watch the same episodes over and over again, that was when young Fraser was not very happy about that. For some reason, I've grown out of that. I'll re-watch stuff over and over again. Like, I don't, I can't count how many times I've watched How I Met Your Mother. But a younger Fraser did... I can count how many times I've watched How I Met Your Mother once each episode one time and do you know how many times i intend to watch each episode one one time real talk we made this movie show you know with with all of the with all the water around you know like uh we're in a noir i want to see steaming streets you know have the you know have the the streets with all this um with all this moisture uh, you know, have that evaporating during the day and in, in, in the intense heat, like, you know, represent some of the stuff a little bit more visually because, you know, it felt like she went halfway or three quarters of the way to a lot of this really cool stuff and didn't quite cross the finish line with some of it. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.